0: you brought your Bible or your phone, I invite you to open up to Hebrews chapter 3. I don't know if you heard that song from a few years ago by a group called A Big New World and Christina Aguilera. It goes, say something, I'm giving up on you. I'll be the one if you want me to. Anywhere I would have followed you, say something. I'm giving up on you. Have you ever had a relationship where that applied? Have you ever felt like that in your relationship with God? God, Jesus, say something. You're so silent. I can't find you. You seem so far off. I'm worried. I'm giving up on you. I know I felt that way. Sometimes Jesus has seemed so far away from me. And being faithful to him has felt so hard. I felt discouraged. I felt apathetic, lukewarm. Like I didn't really hardly care about working on my relationship with God. And and like I said several weeks ago, sometimes when we quit, we quit and leave. But other times, we quit and stay. We stay in church, but we kind of quit on Jesus. Our our relationship with him cools off. We stop growing. We stop letting him challenge us. We just settle for comfortable religion. Well, those that the author of Hebrews was addressing were, were in this place they were getting weary, they were getting discouraged, and they were seriously thinking of quitting on Jesus. For them, the, the obvious way to quit was to go back to the Jewish synagogue that they'd originally come from. After all, it's what they had known before. It, it was a comfortable place that they could return to. Probably they still had families and, and family and friends in the synagogue who would welcome them back. It was a place where they could escape from the persecution that they were facing currently because of Jesus. They'd still have God in the synagogue, the true God, the living God. They'd still have angels, as we saw last Sunday, and all the mysticism and mystery that comes with that. And they'd still have morality. They'd have the law of Moses, the Torah, which was the absolute center and bedrock of Jewish religion. Wouldn't all of that be enough? Did they really need Jesus too? After all, Jesus is troublesome. Jesus was getting them in trouble. He was causing them trouble. Jesus has a way of doing that. (laughs) Well, as if in response to the song, Say Something, I'm Giving Up On You, God says something to the original recipients of Hebrews. God inspires the author of Hebrews to give them this long sermon that we call the book of Hebrews, and through this sermon, which is probably written to them and then read to them, God says something, God says to them emphatically and to us, verse 7 of today's passage, today if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. The passage being quoted here is from Psalm 95 and in it King David much later in history is reflecting back on the time when Moses and the Israelites had been wandering in the desert and God had miraculously through Moses's leadership brought the Israelites out of Egypt with great power and uh, they were headed to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. But along the way It got hard in the desert. They weren't in the promised land yet. It was a difficult journey. There was dryness. There was barrenness. They were hungry. They were thirsting and couldn't find water. And so they were getting very discouraged and uncomfortable. And so they felt like quitting. And this is very much like the experience those the book of Hebrews is addressed to. The details are different, but the basic scenario is the same. Their journey is hard, and they're thinking of giving up, just like it sometimes is hard for you and for me. And so the author of Hebrews quotes this psalm, which which is about this story of wandering in the wilderness, and, and says, I know this is how you feel. I know this is your experience. I know it's tough. I know you're uncomfortable. I know you're discouraged. But let's think about how that story in the wilderness turned out for Moses and the people. When they got weary and disheartened on their desert journey, pretty soon they were grumbling and they were complaining. And then they decided it would be better just to quit. Better to go back to slavery in Egypt. They wanted to give up on God. And the author of Hebrews doesn't pull any punches he or she says, let me tell you what that really is. Verse 12, it's sinful. It's unbelieving. It's turning away from the living God. Verse 13, it's being hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Boy, sometimes we can pretty up the language that we use. I've done this. You know, I'm kind of wandering in my faith right now. God's talking but but I truth is I don't feel like listening. Maybe I'm I'm too busy to listen. I'm too distracted to listen. Maybe I'm feeling too hurt and so I'm not talking to God right now. And God is definitely patient with us. God gives us space to question and and space to hurt and space to struggle. But eventually something has to give. And I think this is the point that that the recipients of Hebrews had got to. And so the author of Hebrews challenges them and probes them. Is that really all? Is it just some wandering in your faith? Just some struggle you're going through? Or is the truth also that your heart has grown hard? Because you've been deceived by your sinful nature. Could it be that you're being unfaithful? and that you're turning away from the living God. Notice the equation that Hebrews is making here. If you give up on Jesus, he tells them, you are giving up on God. If you quit on Jesus, you are turning away from the living God. The author is telling the Hebrews, if you leave Jesus and go back to the synagogue, you're turning away from God. As I've said before, Hebrews is anything but politically correct. The whole point of Hebrews is to lift Jesus up above everything else, everyone else. We've seen already in Hebrews, if you were here the past few weeks, it tells us that Jesus is greater than the Old Testament prophets. God has spoken by Jesus more clearly than God ever spoke in the Old Testament. We've seen that Jesus is greater than the angels. They're God's servants, but Jesus is the great king, the very son of God whom God put in charge of everything. And now Hebrews adds in chapter 3, Jesus is greater than Moses too. And here Hebrews in, in verses 2 and 5, quotes from the Old Testament book of, of Hebrews 12, 7. Or sorry, uh, Numbers 12, 7. Numbers 12, 7. This in, in Numbers is, is the story when um, Moses' own brothers and, brother and sister, Arium, uh, Aaron and Miriam. Uh, pr- probably their mother called them Ariam too when she got exasperated. But um, Aaron and Miriam... That Moses' siblings are criticizing Moses, they're rebelling against his leadership, saying, "Does God only speak through Moses? Doesn't He speak through us too?" And God rebukes them. Let me read the way God says it in Hebrews 12: six to eight. The Lord said, "Listen to my words. When there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams." But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? This passage is lifting up Moses And so Hebrew quotes quotes this, Hebrews, acknowledging that you'd think sticking with Moses was a good enough thing. Moses is lifted high in this passage in Numbers. But no, not anymore, Hebrews says. Someone worthy of greater honor and greater obedience. Someone greater than Moses is here now. Someone so great that he made Moses and everything else. To give up On him, Jesus isn't just to wander and struggle in your faith journey, although you may do some of that along the way. But if ultimately, if that's where you land, you, like the Israelites, are rebelling against God. And Hebrews wants us now in verse 15, or warns us now in verse 15, repeating Psalm 95 again. Today, if you hear your voice, do not harden your hearts. As you did in the rebellion. And verse seventeen: With whom was God angry for forty years? Wasn't those who sinned? Wasn't it those who sinned whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter His rest? If not to those who disobeyed. Don't be like them. Hebrews is saying, it's a stern warning, right? (laughs) But along with this warning, which we all sometimes need, we, we need someone to come along in and, and love, to, to call things for what they really are, not the prettied up names that we sometimes rationalize our behavior with. But along with calling things what they really are and giving this stern warning, Hebrews also offers us incredible encouragement. As if Hebrews is responding to the song's plea, say something, I'm giving up on you. And so God, through the author of Hebrews, does say something. Hebrews gives us three encouraging, positive ways to, to respond to our temptation to quit on Jesus or, or to, to give up on pursuing him faithfully and passionately and to slip into comfortable religion. So the re- for the rest of our time, let's look at these three positive encouragements Hebrews gives us. First is that God says, look at Jesus. Again, look at Jesus. This is right in verse 1. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, Hebrews tells us, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. Again and again, all through this sermon, Hebrews is going to lift up Jesus. This sermon, not meaning the sermon I'm giving, but the the sermon which is the book of Hebrews. Again and again, Hebrews lifts up Jesus and points us back to him and says in a hundred different ways, look at Jesus, Jesus. Because looking at Jesus is always the point. (laughs) And always the absolute best way to get your perspective and to get back on track. And in the next few verses, the author of Hebrews once again lifts up Jesus before our eyes. Above the Old Testament and its prophets, above the angels, and now above Moses, the giver of the Old Testament law. Verse 2 and following. Jesus was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. We saw that in Numbers. But Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. After all, God is the builder of everything. In other words, including Moses. God and Jesus made Moses. If you go back to Hebrews 1, God made everything and everyone through Jesus, we saw back in chapter 1. So God even made Moses, through Jesus, God is the builder of the house. Jesus is the builder of the house. Verse 5, Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken about God in the future. In other words, Moses was a witness. He was pointing us forward. He was pointing us beyond himself. He was pointing us to Jesus. It's like we look at Moses with his arm outstretched pointing, and Moses says, Don't look at me. Look at the one I'm pointing to. I'm pointing to Jesus. Verse 6. Moses was a faithful servant, but Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. Are you getting the message? Look at Jesus. Fix your thoughts on him. He's our apostle. He's our high priest, verse 1 says. An apostle is a messenger, one sent on a mission. In this case, Jesus sent by God to us to reveal God to us, to save us, to take over leadership then of our sorry world. Jesus is our apostle, and Jesus is our high priest. We looked at this last Sunday. A priest is someone who stands between us and God and represents us to God, Uh, Represents our concerns and our requests and our needs and our apologies and confessions and our offerings and our gratitudes. And then a priest also represents God to us, offering God's blessing, offering God's forgiveness, offering God's care and concern and God's direction to us. That's Jesus. Look at him. He's our high priest. Not just a servant of God, but also the son of God, God's very own son. Do you think Jesus can be an effective high priest? Do you think he has an in with God? Do you think Jesus can represent God to us clearly and accurately and us to God? You bet. Yes, following Jesus can be hard. Jesus demands a lot. In fact, he demands everything. He's the king after all. And sometimes, many times, he doesn't solve all of our problems right away. He allows us to go through hard things. Like the Israelites, he leads us through desert times, times of testing that are dry and desolate. And we wonder, why is it still worth it? And when we wonder this, and we do, at least I do, Hebrews reminds us, you want to know why it's worth it? Look at Jesus again. Get your eyes back on Jesus. Look what he's like. Look who he is. Because you see, following Jesus isn't so much about faithfulness to an idea or faithfulness to a tradition or faithfulness to an ethic. It's first and foremost about faithfulness to a person. You know, there are many stories which um, have floated around over the years related to the sinking of the Titanic. No pun intended there. Um, One of them illustrates this this point well. It's about a woman named Isidore Strauss. With her husband, they were first-class passengers on that fated voyage. And as the ship was sinking, she stayed with her husband as they aided men and women to find places on lifeboats and to get those lifeboats launched before the ship went down. There weren't enough boats for all the passengers, and so it was women and children first, right? And, and finally, her husband is eager for his wife, whom he loves, to find a, a, a spot safely aboard one of the lifeboats, and he finds one, and he forces her to get on it, and, and she's seated there in the lifeboat for a moment, but she looks up at him, and she leaps out of the lifeboat. She climbs back onto da- the deck. She catches his arm. She snuggles in familiarly, against his side, and she says, we've been together for a great many years, and we're old now. Where you go, I will go. And that's what Hebrews is trying to help us do, to look at Jesus, to fix our thoughts on Jesus, so we see, so that we realize how awesome he is, how irreplaceable he is, And why he's worth sticking with no matter what. And so that leads to the second way that Hebrews urges us and encourages us to respond to our temptations to quit on Jesus. Verse 12. Encourage one another in your faith, encourage one another daily. Following Jesus is not a solo mission, it's a group effort, it's a team effort. It's not meant to be attempted alone. We need each other. Let me ask you, do you ever need encouragement? Ever? Yes? (laughs) Do you need encouragement when you're discouraged? Do you need encouragement when when your faith is wavering? Do you need encouragement when your commitment to Jesus is faltering and sputtering? I'm not talking about Pollyanna encouragement, where people tell you everything's happy and wonderful and snap out of it. I'm talking about people who really care about you and they don't judge you for struggling, but they want to help you through and out the other side. Not with platitudes, not, but, but rather by helping you refocus your attention on Jesus. Reminding you of what Jesus is like and why Jesus is worth it. I have a friend who later in life took up cycling serious cycling he was he was uh in his fifties, i think early fifties at this time, far enough in his career that he dropped like five figures on a bike <laughs> a serious bike um, and he told me the story about the time he went on a bike tour to France and and uh, the story of climbing a mountain there with a group of other cyclists at the end of this bike tour that they had gone on around the French countryside. And this part, this mountain that they're they're climbing at the end is part of the Tour de France, and it's a long, grueling climb. And near the top, as they're climbing, it's really steep, and it's misty that day. You can't see much around you. And as he's pressing on in the midst, all he can see is what's right in front of him. He's starting to hurt more and more. He's seriously hurting as he slogs up this mountain. And around him, other cyclists are dropping out. They're giving up. Even ones who are younger than him. And he wants so much to make it. He's been training for this. He came all the way to France for this. And so he's pressing on, but his body is just screaming at him more and more. He's hurting so badly. And finally, he just says, this is just too hard. And he pulls off the road to to a pull-off. He says, I give up. And there at the pull-off is this German guy, a complete stranger. And the stranger says to him, don't quit. Don't give up. The summit is only half a kilometer more. You can't see it, but you're almost there. You're so close. And my friend looks up and he says, just at that moment, the mist cleared just enough that he could make out a cell tower on the summit, not very far away. And so he gets back on his bike and with a fresh shot of adrenaline and encouragement, he wills himself up the last half a kilometer. And he gets to the top and he can't believe it. He made it and he just starts bawling from exhaustion and excitement. He was so close to giving up. But he had an encourager. Someone who got his eyes back on the prize. Someone who refocused his perspective. Someone who helped him see what he couldn't see by himself where he was going, and why it was worth it. That's what Hebrews urges us to do for one another. In fact, that's a big part of what church is for. Your stories, your faithfulness, your perseverance, they encourage me, and I hope mine encourage you too. And then third. Look at Jesus, encourage one another, and then third, the third way Hebrews urges us to respond to our temptation to quit on Jesus, and that's to realize what time it is. Don't look at the clock in the back. It's, it's wrong. <laughs> it's to realize what period of history we're living in. We're living in a time that verse 7 calls today. You see, to a certain extent, Old Testament religion was a tomorrow religion. Always looking forward, looking to the future. As verse 5 puts it, speaking of Moses, he was a bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. Which, if you remember, takes us right back to verse 1 of this whole book of Hebrews, where Hebrews begins, In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In these last days. The point is that Moses and the prophets, they were looking ahead, looking forward to Jesus. But now Jesus has arrived and it's no longer about tomorrow. It's about today now. We're living in today The today of Jesus has arrived. Verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, today, if you can hear God speaking to you by sending you Jesus, don't harden your hearts. Like the Israelites did when they faced hard times and disappointments and desert times which tested their faithfulness. Don't be like them. Don't quit. Hang in there. Get your eyes back on Jesus. Look at him afresh. He's the one it's all been pointing toward. He's here. He's arrived. I remember one time not so long ago, I was at home and um, Ann, my wife, had gone out to run an errand. And uh, I was eagerly waiting for her to get home. Um, I don't know, maybe I was eager to tell her something specifically or maybe it's just because I like being with her but I'm looking forward to her getting home and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And then to my surprise, she comes downstairs. (laughs) She'd been home for a while. (laughs) I guess I'd gone out in the backyard or to the bathroom or something and, and she'd come home and I hadn't noticed it. And here I was waiting and yet she was already here. And that's what Hebrews is saying. We're not waiting for tomorrow anymore. The one we've been waiting for is already here, today. In chapter 4, as we go on, we'll elaborate on this and make it clearer, but also um, our passage today is implying we don't know for how long today will last. We don't know how many todays we've got. As verse 13 puts it, as long as it is called today, Let none of you be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Today won't last forever. So hang in there. Don't give up on Jesus. People waited for him for so long. And now he's here. He's come. This is our moment. Let's turn to him and keep our eyes on him. And learn all that he is and all that he offers as we walk with him. Sure, following him can be hard at times. He's not a Santa Claus. He's not a fairy who waves a magic wand over all of our troubles and makes them better. No, he said, in fact, if you follow me, you will have trouble. Why? Well, because he's king and he's come to bring a new kingdom. And like two tectonic plates, that new kingdom is pressing up against this present age. And the old age is resisting it. And so what do you get? You get tremors. You get trouble. You get friction. And if you're on the front edge of following Jesus, you're going to get caught up in that. And it can be hard. It can be discouraging. But it's worth it. Because of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. What did we see a few weeks ago when we first looked at the the introduction to the book of Hebrews, the first few verses? Three things, real quick. First, Jesus is the meaning of the universe. He made it, and he's going to inherit it all. It was made through him, and it was made for him. Second, Jesus is the revelation of God. Like the rays are to the sun, so Jesus is to God the very radiance of God's glory. And like a seal pressed into soft wax, so God's very self, God's very representation is clearly stamped on the human flesh of Jesus. And then third, Jesus is the key to world history. He got history unstuck by dealing with our sin problem, reconciling us to God when he died on the cross, and he's now our king, our leader, the director of history. And so he's going to lead it to a good conclusion. And with his followers, going to inherit it all in the end. So stick with him. Don't give up on him. The song says, say something, I'm giving up on you. And God says something in return. He gives us Jesus. His word become flesh. May we hear his voice. May we not harden our hearts. As verse 14 says, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Let's pray. God, thank you giving us Jesus. Thank you for speaking to us through a person and by a person. Better than words on a page, you gave us a living, loving person who wants to teach us how to love the world, how to love our neighbor, how to love our enemy, how to love one another, how to love you. Open our eyes to see Jesus afresh. Amen.